Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Ex Nihilo with Father Martin Wen, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Well, hello, my dear people. Welcome to Ex Nihilo, a podcast for the Diocese of Orlando. My name is Father Martin, your host, and here's Steve Bucklin, my co-host. Father Martin, good to see you. This is very exciting. We're moving on up. We're like the Jeffersons of the Catholic Church. We're now in a real studio with oh, multiple mics, my and we have guests today. We certainly do. But before we introduce our guests, uh, let's just make let just let me just let me say that I am so feeling important right now. And by the way, last week Steve and Weekat made so much fun of me for using beautiful so many times in my. In my talk in the last podcast, and they also made fun of me for posing no, a very difficult question at the last three minutes. Right, and so what we've done is is rather than not prepare at all, we've prepared a lot. So we're going to make sure things like that don't happen again because we want a quality podcast. We life, want you to look good, Father Mark. Life is so difficult. Anyway, let's get to our guest. Let me introduce you to Father Miguel Gonzalez. Well, hello, Father Martin and Stephen, to all those who are listening. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Oh, we're so happy that you we could be here. We are so happy to have you here. And also, we uh, also have uh, Derek Saldana, a seminarian of the diocese. Derek, say something about yourself, please. Hi, Father Martin. Hi, Steve. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm Derek Saldana. I'm originally from India, and uh, I've been in Melbourne since the last five years. Uh, my family attends Holy, uh, Holy Name of Jesus Catholic Church in India Atlantic. And I'm presently on my pastoral year at St. John Vianney Catholic Church on Orange Blossom Trail. So it's it's great to be here today with all of you. Well, uh, and it's so appropriate to have you here, Derek, because our topic today is fantastic priests and where to find them. Vocations, vocations, vocations. It's all about vocations today, but, uh, my dear people. <laughs> it's going to be great. So, Derek, I'm so glad that you could come, and, and maybe we'll start with you because... Uh, you're kind of you're knee deep in it. You're how many years into your formation right now? Well, I'm into my fifth. This is my fifth, fifth year, year running. Yeah. Wow! And how long do you have to go? I have another two and a half years left. Two and a half. So That's it'll right. be a total of eight years. Is that uh, math right? Total of seven. Seven years. Because to make a I, I came in with a college degree, so it's seven years. Oh. Uh, those who come in straight out of high school, like mm-hmm. Father Martin, they do nine years. Yes. Maybe he just needed the extra time. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah. I, I certainly think so, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and look at the product of nine years of formation. I'm a little afraid. <laughs> right. And now we're broadcasting all that fear across the land. So it's across the podcast first. But, Derek, um, so... It's kind of interesting. So how old are you now? I know uh, if you're not supposed to ask people how old they are, but we're just going to go ahead and break protocol. How well, old are you now? Well, actually, I turned 31 today. You look oh. happy, well, happy birthday. birthday. It's your birthday, and you're coming down to work with us. That is a blessing. Thank you. So, we are that's very amazing. much honored. So, uh, so 31 years old, how, I mean, how did you end up here? I mean, you've invested five years of your life, not an insignificant amount of time, um, to your vocation, how did you kind of land on this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Well, I would say it's uh, something that's been that's built up right from uh, my school days. Uh, I went to a Jesuit school in India, so I had priests working in the school. They were the the principal, the assistant principal, 
uh, even some of the teachers were Jesuit priests. Uh, so I saw them walking around uh, in their cassocks, uh, in uniform, you know, teaching, doing regular stuff, teaching math, teaching social studies. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had a personal rapport with them. Uh, I also was very close to the priests in my parish. Mm, that's, uh, that makes a big difference. Yes, yes. And also there was a, a, a personal incident uh, when I was just 10 years old. Uh, I had a younger sister who suffered from leukemia, and she passed away. Mm. And during that difficult time, it was the priests of our parish uh, who were a great source of strength to my family. And so when... Uh, you know, I said that when I grow up, I want to do something for others. And after a lot of discernment, I felt that God was calling me to serve him as a priest. Wow. And did you always embrace that? I mean, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of vocation stories. You know, some people were just, I was, I kept, I kept hearing the call. I kept saying, no, God, not, not just yet. You know, not like, unlike St. Augustine. You know, give me chastity, give me constance, but don't give it to me yet. Uh, or were you kind of a little more like, I'm ready. This is the path, and it's just kind of a, a building on of that process. Oh, no, I was the one who said, no, Lord, you know, the weekends. <laughs> you know, the weekends for you, uh, during the week, I'll do my, I'll have a career and do my stuff. Right. Uh, yes, no, so definitely, I was, uh, I was not ready to take that step. Wow. Uh, so I went to college, I got a degree. I worked for two years. Uh, then in 2009, I had an opportunity to come to the United States, and I, I was pursuing a master's program at Franciscan University up in oh, Steubenville, Steubenville, Ohio. That's yeah, right. we love Steubenville. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> we hate the winners, but we love Steubenville. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and while I was there, I saw the impact that the sacraments, namely the sacrament of reconciliation, and the power of the Eucharist, I saw how it was impacting lives, lives of young people. Um, and that's where I really felt convicted that, uh, you know, God is calling me to serve him full time as a priest in bringing Christ to others through the sacraments. Oh, and that's, that was a convicting moment for me. That is amazing. Right. Like, and like uh, Derek said several times, the impact of a priest on the people's lives is very much significant. And anyone could really recall at some point in their life, in their encounter, somehow experiences that they had with priests truly lead them to a deeper relationship with the Lord. And so that is the beauty of the priesthood. And speaking from the perspective of a newly ordained uh, to have that privilege of walking and journeying with people in the best and the worst moments of their lives, truly the greatest honor of the priesthood. Uh, on that same topic, uh, let's turn to Father Miguel, who before being appointed as a pastor, had worked uh, for many years with vocations. And we just want to listen to your input. What was it like to to work with young men discerning the question whether the Lord is calling them to this meaningful and yet very challenging life. There's no doubt that I'm very grateful for the fact that for six and a half years, I had the blessed opportunity of journeying with men like yourself uh, in terms of their journey uh, of discernment and, and preparation for, for the priesthood. 
um, some were able to fulfill uh, the requirements and persevered. Others found in that journey that that was not what God was calling them uh, uh, to do with their life, which is also very commendable because they had the courage to give it a try and to discern and to enter into the process. Uh, so all of them, remarkable individuals that I was blessed with uh, the opportunity to guide and to and to uh, journey with. Um, for me, it was an opportunity to give thanks to God for allowing me the opportunity to to be able to give what I received also from great priests and, and, and members of the church that helped form my own vocation. So for me, it was just a, a nurturing opportunity uh, to grow as a priest by listening to the dynamic, faith-filled stories of those who came to seek guidance in the application process and the discernment process, but also to be able to also uh, be able to give back to the church that also formed my own life. Right. <clears throat> mm. And to give the Lord that initial yes is not always easy. I mean, I could still remember being a 17-year-old and on the threshold of that decision and the fear and the hesitation. And I was pretty close to calling it off because of some family challenges. So just a question for you. In, in, in your dealing with seminarians and young men who are discerning, what are some of the, of the major factors that prevent the men from answering the call? Believe it or not, in the six and a half years as a, as a vocation director, the biggest challenge was the fear and the uh, lack of support that would come from the parents of these individuals. That's uh, interesting. And it's an interesting factor, absolutely. To me, it was like a, an eye-opener when right. I began to challenge the young men to uh, consider the call and the reaction of the parents. Hmm. Uh, how they would tell me, Father, don't, don't do that. Please don't, don't, don't ask him because... He's going to go to college, and he has already, you know, a mind set up. Uh, so I would find that resistance. I would find that wall. Uh, one particular case that always uh, I can always connect with that broke my heart was an incredible young man, president of the of his class, great student, uh, but determined that he wanted to be a priest. And when he finally uh, told his parents the news with great excitement. Uh, the parents said, absolutely not. You're not going. You're going to wow. become a lawyer. You're going to inherit uh, our law office because dad was a lawyer. And so you're going to graduate. You're going to work with your dad. You're going to eventually run the business. You're going to get married. You're going to give us grandchildren. That's your vocation. <laughs> wow. And he was completely, completely uh, brokenhearted. Yeah. I can only imagine. And, and, and it was very difficult for him to, to say to mom and dad, well, no, this is not what I want. But uh, he said to me, uh, Father, I will do as they ask. I will get that degree, and I will give it to them. And, of course, that happened many years ago. I don't know what happened after that conversation, what happened with his life. But, but he's always remained in my thought, in my heart, that he, uh, at some point, be able to find what God wanted him to do with his life. What about, Father, what about support from friends, friends specifically? Not, you know, parents, parents have their issues. I mean, as a parent, I know I certainly have mine. But, um, but what about support from not only the community, but, but also close friends? Or what, is, what kind of things does a seminarian need? And, and, and Derek and Father Martin, you chime in as you would like. Um, what kind of support is, can come from the community that will help 
uh, to facilitate this process, the support that you need undergoing, because it's a, it's not a short journey. Seven years or nine years is a tremendous amount of time. It requires a tremendous amount of commitment. Um, but what kind of support did the young men need? It's funny that you say that because as you're talking about that, I'm recalling my own journey. Uh, I went straight out of high school to, to the seminary, same seminary where Derek and, and Father Martin uh, also were, were, were students at. And I remember in my senior year when I made the announcement and my classmates learned about it, some were saying, no way. No way. <laughs> You're not going there. And uh, bets were made. Bets were He's not going to make it. How much He's did not, you collect? Well, I did not make any bets. They made it among themselves. Oh. What was funny was that after four years of the journey, I decided that I needed to step out. So, of course, those who place the bet, it's like, pay up. <laughs> Told you he was not going to make it. Three years later, I come back and resume my journey and got ordained eventually. And so the guys that had paid off, it's like, give it back. <laughs> but, but in terms of the support, I think that one of the best advices, uh, word of advice that I received from my rector, Monsignor Pablo Navarro, uh, was for me to remember three things. The prayer daily, the ability to laugh at yourself, but also to have good, healthy friendships inside and outside the priesthood. Yeah. And that has been definitely a, a, a gift that has been a source of, of nourishment and support uh, because I can also be able to uh, share my journey with them and for them to pray for me right. and be able to support me, even though they're not fully immersed Sure. like the brother priests are, uh, but yet they want to support you because they themselves are going to benefit from that uh, total giving of oneself. Right. Uh, because they, the vocation, I always tell people, especially those who applied, the vocation is not a direct lightning hit that you get from God. It's a call from the people. The church is the one that's calling you. That's why when you get before the bishop on ordination day, the question or the request that is being asked of the bishop is, Holy Mother Church ask you to ordain this man. Right. So it's those support. We, we that, the that, people. We the people. It's the, it's the support of the people and those friends that were with you along the journey, praying and supporting you. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, you mentioned kind of having friends inside and, and outside the priesthood. And, you know, people may not understand that, you know, the diocesan priest in particular straddles two states. You're, you're in the religious state, but you're also very much in the world with us, uh, the faithful. Um, and it's a very tough balancing act, I think. You know, you mentioned having friends on both kind of both sides of the aisle and the experiences that you undergo as priests and, and you're going to undergo, God, God willing, Derek, of, of having, to, having to work in both places is a very, it can be very challenging. Well, at the end of the day, a priest is still human and he has human needs and and more than anything, we need people who keep us grounded. Mm -hmm. Family, friends, even parishioners. Sometimes, yeah, they parishioners tend to put the priest on pedestals uh, because of what he does. The, the privilege, the, the honor of his office. That being said, we are just, like St. Paul said, uh, holding treasure in earthen, earthen vessels. We're humans, and therefore we, we need... We need support from the people. We need support from our family and friends. And these people keep us grounded, for better or for worse. Um, 
Wouldn't you agree? I totally agree because in, in our life, obviously, uh, as priests, we have brother priests that help us on the journey as confessors, as spiritual uh, guides. But it's also good to be able to, like, for example, in my own life, uh, my closest friends are my friends from high school that we have kept the friendship after all these years. We've graduated, we graduated 30 years ago. It was in and 86. you look amazing, by the way. Well, thank yeah. you very much. You know, um, what about me, Steve? You know, uh, that's the magic. Young. That's the That's the magic of radio. That's right. <laughs> that's why that's my mom always said I had a face for radio. And she was my mom. So. But the fact is that after all these years, you know, those friendships have been so true, so remarkably nourishing. Um, they are my brothers. And, and I've been able to witness their, their their marriages, baptize their children, uh, re- give them their first communion. Uh, and it has been just a, an incredible journey of support because I'm able also to uh, continue that friendship with that openness of sharing with them also my ups and downs, uh, just like they do with me. And, and to be able to have some good uh, advice, especially because of the reality of the world that they immerse themselves in each and every day. Yeah, uh, That also give me another angle to take a look at, even as I minister and tend to others and tend with families. So it's just a, a wonderful blessing all around. That is amazing. Well, one of the things, and you'll, you'll love this, I'm just teeing it up for you, but, you know, one of the aspects I think that is kind of a challenge for a lot of young men in particular um, who are, are considering or discerning the priesthood is this notion of celibacy, right? And I heard it mentioned not too long ago, I was... Uh, that celibacy is really a gift that has to be received. Right. That it's not something, it's not a burden that you can take on. It's a gift that you have to receive. And I'd never really kind of thought about it that way, but I'd love to hear what you guys' thoughts on it are. And also yours, Derek, because this is something you're getting close to. If it's because we have to, we have a problem. Right. Right. The it's plus, because we it's, want but to. But it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift to be able to accept it. So when somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you know, Father Miguel, you'll, it must be so sad, you'll never be able to have children, for people to understand that, no, this this is, you em- you have to embrace it. It is your life. But that's the key, as opposed to have to. Yeah. You have to take the gift. No, no, no. No. I want I to want receive it. the gift. Right. Exactly. It's a whole different language. And the perception, the common perception is that it's something abnormal for a man to abstain from sexual relation for the rest of his life, for a man to not build a family, to have his own children. But more than anything, the gift of celibacy is supernatural. And anything supernatural comes from above. And it, in, it is an invitation the church calls, and God calls us to this life. And because he calls, he has the grace in store. It is up to us to say yes or not. It is the choice that we each has to make, has to make but not out of fear, not out of a sense of obligation, but freely and totally. It's an added grace that needs to be nourished, that right. needs to be strengthened. Yeah. Because, again, that's the beauty of that gift that is meant, you know, like yeast, yeah. to continue to expand, to grow. Right. Uh, and that is part of the nourishment of, of our priestly identity uh, that helps us to continue to grow in that awareness of who we are. Yep and the people we have been called to serve. Um, it's just an, an amazing gift, as Father Martin says, that is uh, supernatural. Well, I could still remember sitting on the bus talking to Father Miguel on my way back from a visit to the seminary, and he said to me, you give God the 5%, he will give you the rest. 
And in a sense, that describes the gift of celibacy. We give God our heart, our yes, that's the 5%. The rest, the graces will be supplied. You you should think about that. Uh, Remember also in the blackboard, whenever we would finish the visit? The uh, the tip of the iceberg. There you go. (laughs) And that was also uh, another another visual that connects as well, you know. The tip of the iceberg is just a a 10% of the entire. And the bus was named Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) The good news is that it never sank. Uh, This this can't be good. (laughs) But to dive in, to dive in and continue to discover this incredible gift. And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of our vocation. That's the beauty of our response. And I don't know how how you're doing in terms of diving in and discovering. Absolutely. I think it is... A radical decision and that's why I understand when people uh, you know look at it uh, like we are a little crazy uh, you know it is radical but like father the fathers have said it is indeed giving a free gift of ourselves to another so a married man like yourself you give yourself to your wife you give yourself to your children well we are called to give ourselves to the church and our children are the spiritual children uh, whom we nurture, uh, whom we spiritually feed day in and day out. And may I add here that Christian marriage, if we really take a close look at it... It's way harder it, than it's the priesthood, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I've thought about this long and hard. I'm like, somehow I took a left turn at Albuquerque, and I'm thinking... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's certainly not easy to live that vocation of marriage uh, the way Christ calls us to. I, b- I think in society, when we think of marriage, we think of some chick flick, uh, you know, from Hollywood. Uh, whereas when we think of celibacy, we think of a uh, very radical life. Whereas yeah. even to live uh, that marriage vocation is indeed a radical calling. Oh, uh, it is. No, I, I definitely would agree. I mean, the, the notion of holy matrimony, the notion of any vocation. I mean, we have two kind of vocational sacraments and and neither one of them is anything that you would just pick up and embrace lightly. Each require their own unique type of effort and work and prayers. And it's something that you continue to have to wake up every day and embrace and wake up every day and try to improve and try to get a little better. Um, even if it's some days, even with in the priesthood, with any vocation, some mornings it's two steps you know, back, a half a step forward, a side step, a step maybe forward. But it's the determination and it's the faith that keeps you moving along, you know, especially in a marriage. So I, my wife, you know, she has way more faith than probably all of us because she's stuck with me. So. And you know, the question <laughs> of commitment is a commitment that is made every single day. You say yes to whatever you choose day after day. It is not, it's not like I say yes to the Lord once and then that's good for life. No, every single day I recommit my heart, my soul, my body, my vocation to Him. Hmm. That is the reality of uh, of living a, a, a healthy, celibate life, I believe, is that you live it in the present and you try to do so joyfully. Hmm. Very good. Well, we did say this is where to find all these fantastic priests, so I have to ask. We talked a little bit about the notion of, of, of young men, um, but what about people who are later in life? So maybe in their 30s or 40s or have coming in to, to feel the call, what, what is somebody to do with that? How do, well, how do we address that? Well, absolutely. Obviously, like anybody else that has come to knock at the door of a vocation director is to be able to go to your parish priest, to be able to, you know, I'm having these feelings, these thoughts. Uh, right now we have a, a young man that uh, 
after many years working uh, here in Orlando uh, successfully uh, as a human resources uh, director, uh, finally came to terms with, with his vocation call that he realized that, you know, I think that God meant for me to do something more than just working at a human resources department. And now he has, at age 40, uh, entered into a discernment with the Jesuit community. So, again, it's just uh, at different times in the journey, you know, one discovers that God is inviting you right. to discover I, a I, deeper call. I could certainly name several priests throughout the diocese who have had a, a career for a long time. For the Mark Wader up in Leesburg, uh, was in radio show for a long time, or Father Ivan, who worked for AT&T for many years before these men recognize the call and give their yes to the Lord. Now, allow me to connect to something in regard to the young adults nowadays. I think this generation, we're dealing with, with a bit of a crisis, a fear of commitment, whether to marriage life or to vocation. The fear is very, the fear is very tangible. It's very real, in a sense that that truly prevent us from saying definite yes to, to anything to right. anything truly, because young people don't get married anymore because they're afraid that things don't last. Young people won't give themselves to to vocation anymore because they're not sure. The notion of not sure is so strong. So, any comments on this matter? Hmm. I would uh, wonder how sure the apostles were when they were following Jesus around for three days, <laughs> for three <laughs> years. You know, what was the confidence like? I guess I would say that I don't think, you know, and, and being certainly older than Father Miguel and I are kind of in the same age range, but I don't think that there was ever a time when anything was ever particularly sure. When we were growing up, the, the Soviet Union was still around. Nuclear war was still a very, very real threat. Um, and God, you are older than me. I, I know. It's just you. <laughs> you look so good. Nobody. So, so it, it's you know. I don't know. I think that probably there's there's far more societal pressure. But I think that as a faith community, it's for whatever reason it's become harder and harder to surrender yourself to your faith. To because because you see things that are tangible in front of you, and it, you put you tend to put your trust into those things when they don't work out. The knock-on effect is that it it kind of tumbles into your spiritual life. The but, question is, whose voice are you really paying attention to? Exactly. Because in this secular world, unfortunately, there are a lot of voices that try to distract you, okay, and they try to derail you. But I feel that those apostles in those early days, it's very clear. Mm. They had a personal encounter with him. It was engaging, and that with confidence, they took a leap of faith, a leap of trust, yeah. and they followed. And that is that, that the invitation that the Lord extends to each and every one of us, to be able to discover that relationship and strengthen it. So, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating topic when you think and pray about it. Absolutely, and uh, I guess we're running up. We're running against the time walls, right? So. And th there's just so much that we could say. Perhaps we can pick up a conversation Absolutely. like this uh, in the near future. Uh, just as a closing thought, perhaps just a little reflection for our young people. As we go through life, you and I all looking for meaning. We all want to be happy, and we're constantly in search of that meaning what I want to do so that my life, I would live my life remarkably. 
because we want to make a difference. But at the same time, we cannot dismiss the fear that each and every one's, every single one of us experience and and feels. And so here's a question: Do I trust the Lord enough? Do I trust the Lord enough to simply allow myself to have a personal encounter, to allow Him to dispel the fears, the uncertainty that I experience, and simply give Him my yes? That is something for us to. Reflect upon absolutely with a marriage life, with a religious, with a vocation to the priesthood. Am I willing to simply get to know the Lord as He invites the two, the first two apostles, come and see? Am I going to give Him that chance? So that closes our podcast for this week. Um, wish you all a wonderful week, and remember to smile often because God, in fact, does love you. Oh, very nice. Thank you, Father. We'll see you guys next week. God bless. Bye bye. FaithBit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presented Ex Nihilio with Father Martin Wen. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy. Mm-hmm.